would be the main question would be what's the problem that you're solving so if that's that needs to be just crystal clear um, in your own mind and then you know on the back of that if it's not if it's unclear you want to ask yourself the question is it the right thing to be doing you're listening to founded and grounded with ollie collard and laura rawlings the podcast brings you the honest realities of startup life if you're a founder or aspiring entrepreneur this is for you we know running a business can be lonely and tough at times and we want to help you get ahead with simple tips and sound advice Every fortnight, we hear inspiring stories from an early stage business owner who's only a couple of steps ahead of you, talking about what they've learned. And as your hosts, we share our own insights and experiences as founders, so you can apply this to your own business. Hello and welcome to the Founded and Grounded podcast. I'm Laura Rawlings, co-hosting alongside Ollie Collard, business startup coach. Ollie, great to see you. How are you? I'm doing great, Laura. How are you doing? Taking, marching along through 2023. It's funny how kind of quickly you get into the stride of a new year and you're just back in the thick of it again. Yeah, it feels like we're kind of into the stride of it now. And um, yeah, the kind of new year seems a bit of a distant memory now. Yeah, although I'm sure both of us are keeping up with our New Year's resolutions. Are are you? (laughs) So far, so far, so good. (laughs) Good. I kept mine very modest so that I could achieve them. That's that's my tip for that. They've got to be achievable, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, So today's guest, oh my goodness, I love listening to the two of you talking together. He has so much insight, knowledge, experience that he shares with us. So can you do us the honours of introducing who we're going to hear from today? Sure can, Laura. So I spoke with Mark Dowd, who is a serial entrepreneur and also a super angel investor. And his entrepreneurial track record is absolutely incredible. And Mm. he actually described it in a couple of minutes, which I'm actually mesmerized by in terms (laughs) of how much he's achieved. And yeah, really looking forward to our listeners uh, hearing about what Mark's done in his uh, career to date. Okay, well, let's jump in right there, shall we, and hear from Mark about some of his past businesses and, importantly, some of the failures and things that he's learned along the way. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the Founded and Grounded show. How are you doing this morning? Doing really well. I'm, uh, it's, uh, I've just been on the road for a while and I'm home, so it feels good to be home for the summer. Excellent. And I know home is Belfast, and I'm sure you'll talk a bit more about home in due course. But um, you're a serial entrepreneur and investor. Just to set the scene for our listeners, could you tell us about some of your past business successes, but also some of your failures? Yeah, uh, past my, uh, my my adult life, Folly was basically in North America. So left Belfast, went to Canada, set up a business there. My very first one uh, was basically uh, a social social network. So it was like Facebook before its time and way before its time. So I feel drastically because I had this great idea about what would be possible, but there was no one was remotely ready for it. Um, and that was where, that was just pre.com bust. So when 2000 hit, it was the world ended really in, uh, in the, on the West Coast. And so, was, uh, so I ended up sucking my thumb, uh, lost, lost everything I owned and about half a million more that I had to repay because I was, I was very wet behind the ears and didn't know how to, 
Well, I, I got signed. I signed up for things with personal guarantees and all that stuff. The stuff I'd never do in a month of Sundays again today. And um, so I did that. So I, my first one was really tough. Um, timing was wrong on on market timing was wrong and uh, and also the product. Uh, the next one I did was called Band of Coders, and um, it was more it was in the games development side, which is a passion of mine. And that one was very successful. So grew that to about 120 staff didn't take any external capital and um you know so that was a that that was a that one was a goodie was did uh that was uh managed my exit was a management buyout on that one because it was quite a cash rich firm um i then did another one called brain park which was uh, what was it? a slack so basically it was like Slack again before it's time and failed on that one because I one of the things I failed to ask was is there a line item in the budget of a corporation for collaboration software and the answer to that was no because again I was too much ahead of its time and everybody was just saying well why would I not just use email for this so it was, it was amazing um, when you when I look at Slack today I'm like oh my goodness I had all the right ideas but they're just on the wrong timing um, and then uh, then moved on to do one called Service Cloud uh, Service Cloud was in the cloud computing space moved to California um, and with uh, did that with another friend and that one ended up uh, being sold at salesforce.com um, and then did another one with one of my friends and neighbors and one of my investors uh, in California. And that company was called Trove, uh, T-R-O-V.com. Um, and that was in the, so we pioneered basically what today is the insure tech market. We were the first who sort of created the hashtag and um, they sort of pushed that forward. And that ultimately got sold to Travelers Insurance um, and did, did all of that uh, then spent a, a stint as a VC um, with Anthemis. Uh, if you're familiar with Anthemis, then they're sort of an international firm, sort of about a billion under management. Um, so I'm still a venture partner there, actually. So I was with some of the team last week. So did that and then then jumped out uh, 18 months ago or just over that to start thinking about responsible and what I'm doing here. That's uh, so that's sort of the, the background. So it's all a bit crazy and mad. Ollie, I've made money, I've <laughs> lost money. I've, you know, it's like, but I'm not driven by money. That's my uh, my thing is that I, I'm, I really am motivated by learning and by mission. Uh, so I like to solve a problem and that sort of keeps me, uh, keeps me focused. Amazing, Mark, and I'm, I'm really surprised you managed to condense that down into a couple of minutes because <laughs> there's a lot that's happened there. Um, picking up on some of that, obviously timing sort of come up a, a, on a number of occasions there in regards to potentially being a bit too early for market um, and being a bit too innovative and ahead of the time. What advice would you give to founders who are kind of considering maybe going with an innovative solution to the marketplace? Yeah, I think on if you're going out to the market with something that is innovative and new, uh, would definitely would be asking those questions and thinking, okay, what what do you think the timing is? I'd be talking, if it was a B2B, I would, I'd be taking the idea, I'd be packaging it up on a nice presentation deck. I wouldn't be going out to build software initially, and I would use that to go around various, whoever the partners would be, or the end users, to get lots of feedback. Because at that stage, you can really realize, okay, well, 
Do people care about it? Are they willing to pay for it? Is it going to be a long sales cycle? I mean, do you basically do all that early assessment? Because if you once you jump, once you incorporate and you jump into something, like you're committed to it, and that thing stays with you forever. So it's uh, if so if you want to value your time, then value. Yeah, and don't get distracted with stuff and, and also validate that the market's big enough to justify getting out of bed for it. I think it's uh I think you want to do all that work up front, which doesn't cost any money. It just costs a bit of your time. Excellent, Mark. Great advice there for founders listening. And going back to when you got your hands burnt with your first venture, obviously you must have been feeling a bit kind of down and out, you'd lost a lot of money. How did you bounce back from that? Um yeah, that, that all happened on the 18th of September in 2000. And my son was born, firstborn, on the 20th of September. So basically, he came out of fetal and I went into it. Um, so it was one of those brutal moments in life. The bounce back was that I went around. I had a, this is this date really dates me on it. I mean, a lot of the software development was all done in Fusion and it was Oracle Database back end, but we had, I went around everybody and just said to them, I said, okay, uh, what have I placed you out? So I basically re- I set up a, another company and I put everybody on placement into other big, other big corporations and did all of that. So that allowed them to all be paid, have good salaries. I was able to mark that up, pay back the money and, uh, and get started again. So it's amazing what you can do if you have to. I mean, I had to provide for new family in a new country and just like, you don't have a lot of time to suck your thumb. You just need to get up and get at it again. Love it, Mark. Love it, love it. Um, And coming back to your current business, Responsible, it's focused on the problem of sustainability in the fashion industry. What does Responsible do and what's your mission behind it? Um, Our mission behind it, really our purpose is that we want to fight for a circular future. That's where we recognize that today that there's a lot of overproduction in brands. Uh, there's a, the majority of products end up in landfills and there's no system process that's effectively uh, put together, well, there wasn't put together to really drive that circularity. Um, it's all beginning to emerge now. Uh, that's where we're seeing uh, more and more brands come out of the, come out wanting to do something to, that actually do care. What we do is slightly different than most others in the market is what we do is we calculate the residual value or the trade-in value of a particular item. And we demo, we show that on the website when you're buying it. So if you're if we're like on if you're on Kings of Indigo or Rayburn or some of the other brands that we work with, you can go in and you can see if you're spending four hundred pounds, maybe you can trade it back in for a hundred. And how it works is then it's sort of it works almost like the buy now, pay later programs because people calculate, they go, well, it's 400, but I know I can get 100 bucks. It's really only 300. So it helps convert on the shopping cart. Um, then what it enables is the brands to be able to market to their customers. And so instead of them accumulating more and more in their closets every year, they can market out and say, next season is, is released, trade in last year's. We then, and that's all done within the marketing dollars, basically off the of, on, of a loyalty program for the brand, which then means that 
someone can someone can trade trade a product in, uh, and then that that comes to us ultimately, and we then refurb, resell um, on multiple different platforms and do a profit share with the with the brand themselves. So, our pitch to the brand is really we'll help you take control. We'll help you take control of your secondary market, become accountable for what you manufacture, and help you make more money in the process. Love it. And what, what's your pitch to the the kind of end consumer? So the pitch to the end, uh, yeah, the end customer is really that by participating in doing this, you you're reducing consumption. So consumer is one of those banned words in the our organisation. <laughs> it's because uh, what we're trying to change people from consumers to contributors, um, and so for us, it's our pitches. You know, buy, why buy new when you can buy something that's been previously worn or returned before? Uh, you can, and you can buy it for uh, maybe 60% of RRP, but it's as good as new. Uh, so it really is participate in the future um, and you don't have, and it's, not, and it's going to cost you less money. Love it, Mark. Very compelling. Um, and can you talk a bit about the kind of size of the business um, in terms of where you are at the moment? Yeah, we, um, we're a small business. We're 26 staff. We're 18 months old. We've raised $6.6 million in seed capital. Uh, we are the lead on, our, on that is for Barclays Sustainable Impact Capital. And then we've got a local VC called Techstart. And then we also have several other super angels that influencers out of Silicon Valley in Europe and logistics. So we've got good, really good investors. Um, got a very, very strong leadership team. We'll, I'll say nice things about Kieran when he can't hear me, but my CMO, he's uh, he used to run the digital hype business for Adidas. So he knows how to create the hype around streetwear and so on and that, which is we're basically we're doing outerwear, streetwear, a lot, a lot of our focus at the moment. Um, and then my co-founder Mitch, uh, he was previously a you know senior accountant EY, then moved into M and A strategy and stuff. Um, and the two of us worked before in our last company, so we sort of getting the band back together with a few a uh, few folks uh, at the moment. So we've got that, but then also we've got a lot of partnerships. So we have partnerships with brands, uh, and then we have partnerships with fulfillment partners, repair partners. So ultimately, we, we've got APIs that connect all of the logistics to make sure things can travel and move freely, but also get go to the right places to get fixed without, with, you know, with the reduced carbon footprint. So we're, we're not wanting, we're keep, trying to keep things as local as possible um, and through that training. Excellent, Mark. Um, and moving on slightly from what you're up to at the moment with Responsible, I wanted to talk about some of your experience as a super angel investor. Um, so maybe if you could tell our listeners a bit about your investment experience and maybe pick out a couple of your favourite investments today. Yeah, I've been, I've been investing for uh, about 20 got to be about 20 years um and it's oh it's never there's been i think the biggest investment check i've ever written is about 100 grand so it's not like you know there's got there's lots of folks out there write really big checks um i got known more in toronto uh for writing that's where we're, we're you know as based at that time so in canada and then the states is the so the crazy guy that would write your first 25 grand check so you're the you're the person who would be sitting with an idea <clears throat> and maybe you don't have access to capital, but you need a little bit of money to start thinking about putting the product proposition together. <clears throat> and that's really, for me, what 
um, were invested in, and then also invested into some funds of, with people I like. Uh, so I got approached by David Cohen, um, uh, who was the founder of Techstars in the US, and he had pulled in Brad Fell and a few other legendary investors in the space. And so we were all at South by Southwest together, and it was a funny moment where, where David said, Mark, would you consider investing? And I went, yeah. He said, what do you mean? I don't, I don't even get to give the pitch. And I said, nah, I trust you. You're, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't need to hear your pitch. So I was able to write a check into that. And we had the fortune then through bullet time of investing into uh, sort of seed round of Uber and Twilio and, you know, a ton of companies all around that sort of. 2007, 2008 period of time <clears throat> where the world was sort of ending almost like it was another crazy crisis, but we were able to cherry pick some very good investments at the time, or certainly David did. He was the one that did all the work. Amazing, Mark. Um, and obviously there's lots of similarities between being a good, successful founder and being a good investor. But what are the, some of the skills that are uncommon between the two? The commonality when it comes to investing, if you've been a founder, if you're a founder and stroke investor, it can actually be quite, it can be dangerous. I heard a guy once up front, he said, he said that he was a good founder, but he was an awful investor. And I was sort of, so it perked me up to sort of listen. And then he said the reason why he was a bad investor is because he'd be listening to someone else's pitch. He would be putting himself into the shoes of the of the founder and, and interpreting back in his own mind going, well, if this was my company, I could make this a success. Um, I've done that a ton because I, I see what I could do with it. But then there's a ton of people that just don't, you know, you can invest, but they just don't execute or they're not fast enough, not agile enough and so on. So I think there's a downside uh, to that. The upside is that you actually can be a good investor in the sense of that you know to leave the leave the founder alone in a good way. You know, that I'm not phoning them every month and saying, Can I get another update? or you know, are we are how's how's the model working? Because if all your investors start doing that, you can spend all your time just managing them rather than actually building the business. So uh the so the some of the best, I mean, as an investor I've typically done something invested into people, let them do their job. And if they fail, they fail, because you also know that the ratio of this is so low on success that, I mean, if you invest in, if you're, if you're writing whatever size of check it is, whether it's 25, 50 or 100 as an angel, um, you should never, ever write it without, you know, the planning to lose it. Uh, so if you, can't, if you can't afford to lose it, don't participate. Uh, so I've had I've had the good, the bad, and the ugly with investors on the other side as a founder. You know, when it failed, you know, that's where you gotta go back with your tail between your legs and you know, go talk to everybody and it's a demoralizing experience. Um so in some ways you realize what as a founder, when you do this, it's like you're just you're you're making a bet on somebody, you're there to help them with your Rolodex wherever you can, but for the most part let them crack on and um, you know, as a founder. Great stuff, Mark. Um, and rewinding back a lot further, kind of looking back to your childhood, what indications at that point of time were there that you may have taken this kind of entrepreneurial path? Um, well, my granddad and my dad were both entrepreneurs. And so I actually grew up not knowing anything else. So I thought that's, I thought this was normal. 
Um, so I, I've got stories. I mean, I remember coming. I mean, I remember through previous recessions with my dad and his business. I remember coming down one day and seeing him like basically in tears. So he had lost everything. So I grew up in a house. I grew up in a family where I knew what it was to have money and I knew what it was to have nothing uh, and to go in those spikes with my dad. And so in some ways you realize what what I did witness and see is that money's not always there. It's not always guaranteed. And it comes and goes, which uh, which allows me also that when it's not there to believe that tomorrow it will be. And so I've seen I've seen that, and I I suppose when I work with my dad for my dad, he sort of taught me the ropes and all of those things. But I was sort of the black sheep who really was much more interested in technology, um, and the only thing I knew what to do was basically go out and start pioneering and pushing the envelope and coming up with my own thoughts. I remember my dad at different points saying, how did you learn how to do all this? And I was sort of like, I said, dad, you taught me. And he was just, he was all smug about it. And he thought that was the class. Um, but genuinely he did. Like I, my dad would, uh, I mean, he passed away a couple of years ago and, uh, you know, lost my sort of friend and mentor in the middle of it but he never understood a single thing I did it was it was like as someone would ask my dad you know what was Mark do and it was like you know computer stuff <laughs> it was like it's never never knew what the real impact was like I tell him and I explained it but just over his head he was a very traditional businessman a word about our sponsors as a founder, cybersecurity isn't top of your priorities. Yet Alliance has identified cyber threats as one of the top three risks facing business globally. This is where Nova Blue comes in. Its founder, Steve Mason, was technical director with GCHQ. He was in charge of keeping the nation safe from cyber threats. He set up Nova Blue to help keep businesses safe. Nova Blue are offering founded and grounded listeners a free cybersecurity health check. Simply go to nova-blue.co.uk forward slash podcast offer. Tallymarket make it easy for businesses to find and instantly book flexible workspaces. Through their simple platform, you get access to thousands of desks, meeting rooms and private offices at the best co-working spaces in the UK and beyond. It's free to sign up to, and Tally Market are also offering 20 free tokens, the equivalent of five-day passes, when you register and buy 100 tokens. Visit tallymarket.co.uk forward slash F and G for more information. Okay, Ollie, right. <laughs> there are two key things that I think we should pick up on following this chunk of your conversation. Um the first bit is about the mistakes that Mark made and what we can learn along the way. Um, I think increasingly people do talk about the things that have gone wrong, but it's still very easy to look at things, especially on social media, and you see the shiny, glossy side of everything going really well and not have a clue about all of the backstory. Um, so let's talk about some of the things that he learned because there's plenty of takeaways for all of us in it. One of the first points was about the timing. You might have a great idea, but actually it's not answering a problem that your ideal clients have right now. And that came up a couple of times, didn't it? hundred percent, Lauren. I think it's um, probably one of the most underrated determining factors 
of a success of a business that isn't often talked about. Mm. And, and I think because particularly in Mark's case, you know, he's clearly an innovator, a blue sky thinker, yeah. coming up with very disruptive business models. And so if you're looking at, say, the innovator's curve, which basically looks at um, people who are going to adopt the business idea. So the first two and a half percent are really the innovators. Then you look at the early adopters. Yeah. Then the early majority, which is kind of 34% along with the late majority, which is another 34%. And then you've got the laggards, the people who come to the party a bit late. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. If, if you're literally innovating too early, there isn't a marketplace for it. And you've got to spend a lot of money on educating why people need to buy your solution and it's 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 a hard it's hard work so sometimes actually being too early and first to market can be a curse and obviously that's been the case in in Mark's scenario. And I think also it was interesting how much he had put into those businesses, how far he'd taken the idea, how much investment in time, money and energy and actually how he said now, well, I wouldn't basically do all of that. I'd come back with a nice deck or whatever. And I'm reminded of previous guests who've said, what's the minimum you can take to market? But as a recovering perfectionist, I'm the sort of person who in business is thinking, right, I need the full glorious thing. Here it is before it can be unleashed to the world. And that's been such a learning curve. So I think that point is well worth repeating, you know, and that is Mark's experience as well. Don't go that far down the line without loads of conversation with your client about whether this is actually what they want. Yeah, that's a hard one, isn't it? And I think um, Mark's clearly a type of chap who's kind of all into something or yeah. or not into it. So I think he's chucked himself into these businesses. And, you know, both of them in their own right could have been wildly successful in terms of if you're looking at some of the top businesses today. So you're looking at, say, a social network, uh, whether you're talking about the likes of, say, TikTok or, you know, in its heyday, Facebook, mm. um, or looking at communication platforms like Slack. These businesses are incredibly successful. Um, and I think he just was a bit too early to market with them. And also maybe the, the the actual underlying business model wasn't quite there. So if you look at, say, Slack now, they actually built the the business model on the freemium model, which mm-hmm. actually means that the free option free version is offered first and then they entice users with more additional features to upgrade to the paid for version yeah so i think in terms of yeah being slightly too early to market you know the the freemium business model coming to fruition a lot more um so i think you know actually mark could have been incredibly successful with these businesses but unfortunately timing wasn't on his side Yeah, I know. I thought the tally market example came into my head. You know, it's a great product, but it wouldn't have been such a great product five years ago because actually COVID and what happened and how they listened and adapted to their customers. It's just such important learning, looking under the bonnet and seeing how great products and businesses do come about and what makes one survive and one not. The other thing that you might be able to um, talk a bit more about than I can, but Mark said about um, making mistakes of signing personal guarantees uh and, and he realized he shouldn't have done that so i guess that's about limiting liability when something goes pear-shaped is it 
So in terms of some funding streams, some is unsecured. So as an example, a startup loan is a form of funding where you don't have to put any guarantees down. But other forms of funding, you have to put some liability down. So it could be um, putting down some equity in your house or uh, being a personal guarantor. So um, there, there's some obviously some cases where Mark has been burnt in the early days yeah. and actually lost out financially um, in terms of actually committing himself to something um, and what he's saying is now is actually he's learned a lot from that and if he was starting again today then he probably wouldn't do that in the early days and I think he said in case mm. of being a bit wet behind the ears was his kind of wording of mm. that. Yeah it's, it's good information to take on board isn't it and not something you would necessarily know or I think it's possible that you're so keen to try and attract investment or a loan that you also need to work through the scenarios of the small print. <laughs> at the same time. It was that kind of lesson for me. Um, one more point here before we go on to the next part of your conversation. And I want to pick up on this because I find this fascinating. And also I realise it's had a huge impact on me and does on other people as well until you become aware of it and decide to do something differently. But Mark's money backstory. So he talked about having a father and grandfather who were both entrepreneurial. They made money and lost money. And he was exposed to that as he was growing up. And how that I sensed, and I'm reading between the lines here, how that kind of released him from a fear of failing, which is something that holds lots of people back. I grew up in a house where money was much more scarce and business was hard or is still hard physical labor, money hard to come by. And, it, and you have to be very careful. And that's really shaped how I feel about money, although I'm much more aware of it now. Um and it is just one of those things that really does affect you. And you might not even be aware of it, but about the risks you're prepared to take, whether you will invest or, you know, spend to grow or whether you're fearful and kind of trying to hold on to everything. And I just want to put it out there that we do need to be aware of this, don't we? Yeah, and it is literally ingrained from your upbringing yeah. in terms yeah. of how you approach money and what your attitude to risk is and all of these things which it comes a point where you don't realize how much it impacts you as a person until you're going on this journey of self-discovery and being quite reflective like you mm. said Laura and you now know Laura that how this has actually impacted your view on business and money and other areas of life that actually mm, affects your decision making so I think um, it's a massive factor and in Mark's case he's he's been there and seen it all he's seen that his um, relatives being very successful and then lose it all and then start again and I, I think what he's probably taken from that is that nothing is final yeah you can you can make a million and lose a million and I think the point is that you, you just carry on going and I think that resilience that we've talked about a lot on this program is what makes a successful entrepreneur and I think mm. he's had that instilled in himself from a very young age He's attuned to it, isn't he? And I think, yeah, like for me, I definitely just felt it was that removal of fear. You can go forward confidently because you've seen and you have a template in your formative years that money can be made, it can be lost, but you can keep going. It's not success or failure. Um, and I, I think what I would just add is that actually, if you haven't ever considered this, as you're, you know, starting up your business, it is worth reflecting on your own money story. You know, what were the 
sort of sayings and things that you heard when you were growing up? What was the attitude of your, you know, parents or primary caregivers or whoever was with you around money? What was the kind of outlook and start to join some of the dots as to how this influences you now? Because it affects whether you're operating from a place of fear or scarcity or a place of abundance, you know, so it's worth, it is, there's an exercise there that I think is well worth doing. 100% Laura and I think in terms of having that kind of abundant mindset is a really important characteristic in being a successful entrepreneur Mm. and what I would say is even if you've done that journey of self-discovery and realised that perhaps it's negatively impacted your view on money or risk or approach to life that it's not fixed you can change it yeah the the mind is so good at building new neural pathways that actually anything can be adapted and changed and Mm. nothing is set in stone, but it will have a a kind of determining factor on your baseline. So I think doing that journey of self-discovery is vitally important. Whilst we're on this subject of sharing um, tips and advice, which is the theme of the whole podcast, but it It's where we're going to go next, more specifically with Mark in the conversation and find out about what advice he has to share. Probably that, you know, the the focus should always be on the revenue in the business. Um, I think revenue is very important in a business, which is brutally important, but there's all, it also comes, if you're solving the right problems, it actually, the money follows. So initially, I think some people say, okay, just focus on the revenue, build that out, get that done. But sometimes you can limit yourself and limit the capacity. There's a there's a fine line at the on it because of even at the markets at the moment. There's got so much focus. Money's got expensive again, and you know people are and there's been a more awareness on the revenue side. But if you also look back to like earlier days of Facebook, I remember I think it was like seven years in. Zuckerberg was asked, "What's your business model?" and he said, "You know, you know, happy happy customers or happy users." You know, it's like sort of. You know, they weren't daft back then, but they also realized that, you know, that they didn't want to curb the scale and the and the and the basically and the, the potential in that. So yeah, I would I would push back on some people that just say just, you know, basically make try and get the money or try and get it through or make it money as soon as soon as possible. Because sometimes that's not that's really not good advice. Um also when it comes to then the planning and for through some investments where a lot of people start putting together all their forecasts that you know of what what's what's where where's it look like you know and as a seed stage company or pre-seed company it's just ludicrous and mad to think that you should focus focus the first round on um, on revenues and on predictable focus it's much more your first couple of rounds of capital are to solve the problem um and the, and then focus on that so uh, if that answers your question. It does, Mark. Thank you very much. And um, moving on, um, can you tell me about a time when the shit has truly hit the fan? How you dealt with that situation, and what was the lesson that you took away from that? Yeah, if I if I talk about the first time where the shit hit the fan, which is the yeah the early one that I mentioned before, that that I mean. What I learned through that, to get myself back up on my feet was that I had to reframe life and that I had to accept that failure is only feedback. 
Um, and if I can accept that, that means what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. And I'll get smarter, I'll get better, uh, I'll get tighter at everything. So, so I'm not afraid to fail. Um, I've got more comfortable with it in the sense that, because I know in the midst of the craziness and I'm taking on something big, is that I'm going to learn a ton and get, as to say, brighter and smarter every time. And that then translates to not, not just in the business, but into my life and, you know, the advice I give or the boards I sit on and, and so on. I'm able to look at something and have a very different perspective as a result. So I do love meeting with founders um, and just to, to recognize for them is that a lot of people don't get up and go again because they see themselves as a failure where the reality is, is most of the time it's just a failed project. And when the, it's, back, it's back to the analyzation of what did you learn and what did you not do again um, at that point. Great stuff, Mark. What practical advice would you give to founders to try and get them comfortable with the uncomfortable? Uh, to recognize that if you want to grow um, and you want to learn is that you need to put yourself into uncomfortable situations on a continuous basis. Like if you want to grow and develop as a person. So for, I mean, I continuously put myself into environments that make me uncomfortable. Like I recently started improv. Um, that makes me really uncomfortable. Um, so to stand on stage and to do a show live on that, it's very different than doing presentations and re rehearsed. So, um, yeah, uh, yeah, so on, on a continuous basis, I do that because it unsettles you, it shakes up your mind, it allows you to look at the world differently. Um, and uh, and it's, it's actually, I mean, you just get better. Life's a lot more interesting and fun. You, can, you might as well enjoy the journey that we're on. Uh, but yeah, I think getting... Learn to accept that you know being uncomfortable just leads to deeper insight. Um, the other piece around being uncomfortable is getting yourself into a place where you accept that you don't know very much and that you're able to become more curious because curiosity is one of those things that draws other people out. So you can be in a position where you feel very uncomfortable and vulnerable to acknowledge that you know little, but that curiosity in that position allows you to see more and learn more from others and can obviously, and can quite often lead to insights that you would never have discovered or found on your own. Great advice there, Mark. I'm keen to know, who do you call when things aren't going to plan? I've got a couple people that I call. Uh, normally my first call is uh, a chap called Jim McNeish, Scottish, um, as the name would hint towards. But he's got, uh, his company is niche.co, N-E-I-S-H.co. Uh, Jim has been, he's a very good friend and has been helping me and supporting me for over 20 years. Um, he's, so when I, he's got a, a knack of, well, he knows me and he knows where I'm at. So in the sense of that, if anything deep's happening in life, and I'll, I'll, call, I'll call Jim. I also call uh, one of my, you know, one of my old business partners in my last company, Scott Wolchek. Scott was a mentor and a friend for years, even before we worked together. And so uh, he knows if I'm stuck around 
a structure or thing, you know. And I mean, he's just he's got a brilliant mind around. I learned so much from him uh, around how to rethink things, reposition, uh, or even if it's around capital raising and structures. I mean, it's going that. So if, on that practical part, I'll call Scott. On the deeper emotional part, uh, I'll call Jim. It can be quite lonely at the top, Mark. So how would you encourage founders to build those types of relationships for themselves? I would recommend to every founder to find your co-founder because the journey with a co-founder, as long as you pick well, uh, can be a lot more interesting and you've got someone to talk to, someone who's in the journey with you. And it makes, it's the, it's, it's much different than talking to somebody else's advice when they're when they're living it with you. So I'd say if you if at all possible find a co-founder. Don't be worried about your dilution and all of that stuff. I mean, just get somebody who can journey with you because you'll be thankful for it. I mean, I just did a holiday for the first and forever, you know, and I was able to hand over the helm to Mitch and actually enjoy myself and not to be worried because I know he's he's got it when I'm gone. So that part is is there. The other piece is also drawing in to your life someone who's been there and done that from an entrepreneurial perspective. Like build a, for fun, one of the things I do with uh, every company I start is I carve out a, you know, a little bit of stock and I build a, a, a team of advisors from industry and from support and, and so on as well. But I rely on those people. So they I genuinely will call them for support, advice, Rolodex, any of those things um, for their insight. But it, uh, And also then if you've got, if you don't have someone, if you haven't yet gone for personal development coaching and have the right person there, I mean, just, it's, you know, or, or therapist or whatever way, whatever framing there. I mean, I've been in permanent therapy, I think. So it's one of the best things ever uh, to be continuously processing the pain in your life and the, and the things that are happening around you. Right, Ollie, you know I'm a fan of the power of a good reframe and I think any opportunity I can see for us to mention it, I'll weave it in. And Mark helpfully does that for us when he talks about how he got going again. He had to reframe life and failures only feedback so that he can get smarter. I mean, wow, if if only I'd known that when I was, you know, <laughs> going through school and then in my early years in in my career and certainly to where I am now. This is so true, but it will still be new things for people. So um, if you don't know what that actually is, if you don't know what a reframe looks like, it's, it's ways of looking at something that's just happened. So to give you a completely different example, there were many times when my daughter was really little and I get woken at 4am and not be able to go back to sleep. And that was exhausting, irritating and all of those things. But then I had to get used to saying, but I'm up and I can see the sunrise. I'm up and I have a beautiful daughter who is healthy. I am up and I've got some quiet time in the day to myself. And that's what a reframe is. So it's about the way you view things and position it in your mind. And it's such a useful skill to have in all aspects of life that that's why I like mentioning it. But I'm so glad he picked it up. Is this something you use a lot, Ollie? I think you have to, to be a successful entrepreneur, because there's so much crap that comes with being a founder like you you have to be able to flip your mindset and i'd always say if you're reacting to something instinctively i'd say literally sleep on it 
go back to it the next day. It's fine to maybe draft a response in terms of an email, but actually revisit it the next day and you might be feeling slightly different about it. And I think in terms of doing reframing, one thing that really works for me is actually just taking some time at the end of the day to think about things that mm. I'm kind of thankful for. Yeah. Um, and I think in terms of actually showing what your your gratitude is um, open to and actually acknowledging that, then actually it puts you in a much better frame of mind and helps you reframe things in a much better light. I Yeah, I agree with that. That's good, good advice too. Um, one of the things that Mark talked about was getting out of your comfort zone and putting yourselves in uncomfortable positions on a continuous basis. Again, I feel like I'm underlining everything that I relate to, but I do relate to this. And actually, this inspired me to say yes to a job opportunity that I am quite scared of. Um, but I will, I've decided, yes, I will go ahead and work with this client on this because this is what I should do. And I haven't been doing it enough. So wish me luck. And I'll tell you um, how that goes. It involves doing a podcast with someone. But yeah, it's, it's true, isn't it? We've got to keep doing it, even though comfortable is nice. Comfortable is lovely, but you're ultimately you're not going to achieve the life that you want to achieve if you're maintaining that comfort zone. I think it's good to push yourself mm. um, outside of the, you know, the comfort zone, as we call it. But at the same time, I wouldn't take too big a leap. So it's about taking smaller steps yeah. that make you a bit uncomfortable, but you, you learn along that journey. And then obviously it becomes a bit more like second nature and you feel comfortable being pushed outside of that comfort zone. So I think, yeah, you want to do that on a regular basis, yes. um, but not take too big a leaps at the same time. And it doesn't have to be in work. Like he does improv, which I thought was really interesting. I think our first founder to say that they're doing something like that. Um, but what I also thought is, you know, often people say, what's stopping you from doing these things? And this is where, you know, how comfortable you feel is an, is an influential factor in that. But giving yourself permission to grow and learn you don't have to have the finished product or be the greatest already. You know, you're going to learn on the job and, you know, communicate, have good ongoing discussions with whoever this client is and make sure, you know, sort of put out there how you're getting on and, and just be upfront and, yeah, you're going to learn. So I suppose I just want to give that message of reassurance out loud, partly to myself, but also to anyone else who may need to hear it because I think it's, um, yeah, sometimes we stop ourselves doing things because we are thinking, I can't see my, how am I going to do? I'm not, am I going to be as good as them? The person whose shoes you're filling or whatever, but yeah, just, um, you are going to learn. You're going to find your own way of doing it too, aren't you? And I think it comes back to the, the purpose of this podcast, really. It's about learning from people who are, you know, a couple of steps ahead of you mm. um, and not comparing to yourself to their finished version because they started somewhere, they started small. Yeah. Um, and and know, made mistakes to too. A, and made those mistakes. Yeah, exactly. And also to a certain degree, everybody is winging it. And so I think, yeah. you know, just having that confidence to take that first step and, you know, get over yourself in terms of it doesn't have to be perfect and you'll learn along that journey is, is the key to being a successful business owner but also you know pushing yourself in terms of personal development whether it's doing things like Mark said in terms of doing improv or doing yeah. things that are wildly outside your comfort zone I think it's um it enables you to become the person that you want to be agreed and it can be personal or professional my example of doing this um is that I 
said yes to swimming in a lake throughout the winter. And I'd done it on and off before, but never consistently. And this time I signed up to a challenge and said, I am going to do it. I'm going to do it twice a month. So it's a really simple challenge to hit. And every and I've managed to get halfway through and I've done it. And I can't tell you how good that feels. It feels flipping freezing in the water. And I don't know if I'm enjoying that bit, but I can definitely tell you that I enjoy it when I get out and that sense of I've managed to do something new and different. And it does give you this sense of, well, I could do that in other ways too. So, yeah. Right, we must move along to our third and final section of the conversation that the two of you had together. Um, And you asked Mark, if he wasn't a serial entrepreneur, what would he be doing? Actually, I'll go back to the the, the comedian thing. I was, I was like, it was on, I was interviewing a couple of people, yeah, just pre-COVID. And I asked them, it was one of one of the people was Sarah Fryer, the CEO of Nextdoor, you know, sort of previous to Square. But I asked Sarah, and I said, if you were to recreate yourself and you weren't doing what you're, if you weren't doing what you're doing today and choose a different career, what would it be? And so, but then she turned it right back on me and said, okay, well, Mark, it would be inappropriate for us not to ask you. And that's where I'd, I publicly stated a comedian, which I'd never told anybody before, but it was one of those things I've always wanted to try. Um, so, but it's, um, so yes, I don't think I'll maybe end up on the international stage, uh, Ollie, but I would, uh, the next five years for me are definitely building them responsible in this business uh, uh, to a point where I can have I, I can have measurable, meaningful impact that I can point towards about what we're doing to uh, reduce carbon waste and, all, and so on in the for the environment uh, through influencing uh, these fashion brands. So the hope would be that I'm able to scale this with enough uh, enough people, but also to have ultimately have the influence to make to make changes. Um, so if we can become the glasses guide or black book, if you're familiar with those, but they're the the infrastructure behind or the data behind all the car market. If I can build that, and I can persuade and show fashion brands to manufacture for longevity and use different materials to, so that it's easier for recycling and to do all of those things for a future. I'd be the happiest man alive, Ollie. That's well. That is for me really what I just want to. I want to solve a problem. I want to have. A, I want to feel like I'm leaving that legacy, and also demonstrating to others that you can take something that's big and hairy and solve it. Um, so all the pro- so a lot of. I mean, I get it where some, a lot of VCs ask, okay, pick on one small thing to solve. When sometimes the stuff's bigger, you know, that was like, you know, Jeff Bezos has proven that. So you can go for big stuff. It just doesn't always have to be bite size. Love it, Mark. Um, now there's an opportunity for you to ask our listeners a question. Have you got one in mind? If I was to ask the users a question as the other founders, I really would be asking, it's really what's the problem you're solving? Um, because that was, I think that's the piece where I've, I meet, believe it or not, I meet founders, entrepreneurs, that are, they really have something that's, uh, you know, it is a solution looking for a problem. You know, they had an idea and so on. It really, and if, so I'd ask there, what's that would be the main question would be what's the problem that you're solving? So if that's that needs to be just crystal clear um, in your own mind. Uh, and then, you know, on the back of that, if it's not if it's unclear, you want to ask yourself the question, is it the right thing to be doing? 
Love it, Mark. Well, we'll get some answers for you on that. And yeah, it's going to make founders definitely think about the business they're in and why they're doing it. The next part of Founder and Grounded is a key feature. So if you had to distill down just one piece of advice, Mark, for founders who are thinking of starting a business, what would that be? Listen to your fears. Um, Recognise that uh, fear and those experiences around you, it's actually for you, not against you. So in a sense that sometimes the fears that emerge are just demonstrating that you got that you're being courageous but normally they have a message to bring or as so it's recognizing that some of those emotions and listen, listening to them to recognize that you might discover something in it so instead of ignoring it or pushing it down ask the questions what's what's the fear trying to t- tell me here i think that will be one of the biggest because i think we as, as founders experience fear probably more than the average bear and uh, so learning to recognize it as your friend and not your enemy uh, can change your life what fears have you addressed through entrepreneurship and have you got any regrets fears uh, i have fear right through of every company i've ever done i have there are weeks that i have fears and weeks where i'm excited so i mean there's always either there are days when I just get out of bed and go and I'm so pumped because I can see that we're making a difference and then something else will happen and it'll just be I'll just be full of fear fill up my entire body and wonder why am I doing this how am I going to solve this next problem um so we've uh, uh so yeah I yeah it's again it's le- learning to acknowledge it and um and then also move on some of it there's a great little book I don't know whether they've ever read it called Tuesdays with Maury uh, but it's a book actually it was about this guy Maury he was he was dying but this guy would visit him and ask him you know lots of questions and it was sort of like at the end of his life and one of the questions he had asked was he said how do you how do you always you know how do you end up remaining positive uh, through your average day and he said I wake up every morning I feel my pain I acknowledge it, I don't deny it, and then I get up and get on with life. And so I think that there's a part of that that's pretty important to acknowledge, uh, but not to sit on it for too long. I love it, Mark. Um, And where can people find more about you and Responsible? Responsible Responsible.us. Fantastic. And you personally? Uh, me personally, uh, Twitter just at Mark Dodds. Uh, basically, I think every handle on every social is just at Mark Dodds. Uh, same as uh, forward on LinkedIn forward slash Mark Dodds. So if, uh, I've been around this for long enough, I've still doing all the handles. Excellent, Mark. And last question, a bit of a curveball. If I knew you better, what's one question that I would have asked you? What's my next adventure? And what and what is the answer to that, Mark? Well, uh, I've I do big adventures every year. All I'm just back from. I'm literally just back from one. So I did. I took a Ducati and uh, and toured uh, basically France and Spain, and then I did uh, you know four day mountain biking around Catalonia for like two hundred fifty kilometers and doing that. So there's normally a big adventure plan on that one the next was probably going to be on a mountain bike 
I love it, Mark. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Found and Grounded show. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Ollie. So to a juicy question and a great piece of advice there from Mark. So the question, what's the problem you're solving? Um, if it's not clear, are you doing the right things? This touches on what we talked about earlier, didn't we? And the timing and making sure that that bit is right. Um, and Mark also said about listening to your fears and what they're trying to tell you. And there are so many interesting different um theories on this. I read the other day someone saying that the fears you have is actually what you want to happen. So if you were fearing losing your job, let's say, um, actually, that's what you want to happen. And I was like, oh, well, that's an interesting yeah. one. Is that is that actually right? What do I think about this? Um, yes, I don't know. Many and various theories, but it starts with listening to what the fear actually is, not just ignoring it. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have the tendency to bury their head in the sand and not actually yeah. acknowledge what the actual fear is. So once you've acknowledged it, like you say, it's the first step on becoming more self-aware about what's either driving you or, or demotivating you. Because mm. often you, you're either pulled towards things or pushed away from things in life. Mm. So true. Um Okay, whilst we're sort of talking questions and social media, let's weave in to hear from Samantha, shall we, our community lead, and just find out some of the things that you've been saying in response to our previous episode where our featured entrepreneur asked a question. So let's get that reminder um, from you, Sam, about who we had on the podcast and what they wanted to know. Last episode, we spoke to Steve Mason, former GCHQ technical director who now runs Nova Blue Technologies supporting companies with their digital security needs. Steve had a great question for you all. He asked, what does cybersecurity mean to you? Now, it's a tricky question. Um, so, of course, we didn't have a vote for this one. It was much more open to having a chat, which so many of you did come back to us with your thoughts on. So thank you for sharing. Cybersecurity is such an important topic and so many of you shared that. We had comments about how it's a necessity for every business, that we can't afford to leave our clients' information unsecured, which is so true, that cyber threats are increasingly more prevalent and that it's definitely a worry for a business owner. That was from Kate. And so true, it seems to be a really big issue at the moment and there are so many things that need to be put in place to protect ourselves so definitely worth every business thinking about is really important in this digital age Sean says it's an area that can't be overlooked that is so important today and a lot of you shared that it is a priority that it is something nowadays in business has to be one of the most important things we think about that it has to be secure and has to be a priority. So it's such an interesting story to hear Steve sharing. So interesting to hear about the importance of cybersecurity and fantastic to see how many of you shared that thinking that we all need to consider our cybersecurity. So fantastic to see the response being that cybersecurity is a priority that is important and that's what it means to most of you out there. So I'm sure Steve will be so pleased to hear how many of you are taking cybersecurity so importantly. 
and how many of you are treating it as a priority in your businesses and your startups. So thank you all for coming and sharing your thoughts. If you have any other thoughts about what cybersecurity means to you, please do come and find us on social and add to the conversation. We would love to hear from you. It's so good getting your responses and your um, thoughts and comments and questions on things. So do please keep sharing them. We love to hear what you have to say. Um, Ollie, who have we got as our next guest? Our next featured business is a skincare company called By Sarah London, which was started by two sisters. And we speak to Sarah and her sister Lauren had a massive health scare with cancer. And it's an incredibly inspiring story. Lovely stuff. I'm looking forward to it. Well, um, thank you, Ollie. Thank you so much to you for listening as well to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for listening to Founded and Grounded with Ollie Collard and Laura Rawlings. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we'd love you to recommend it to someone else. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, regardless of where you get your podcasts from. And join our online community and share your comments with us. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. It's always good to hear from you.